Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. 1 Samuel chapter 22, church, we're in a series entitled David After His Own Heart. The first week, Pastor had explained to us from 1 Samuel chapter 17, facing the Goliaths in our life. The week after that, I took us to 1 Samuel 16, and I was talking about David's anointing and the circumstances that were surrounding his anointing. The main idea last week was this. We may feel overlooked. We may may feel underestimated, but we remain after God's own heart. Amen, church? Today, I want to see what happens to David as he is anointed. In fact, many of you might believe that after you are anointed, things get better. But in David's story, we realize that he is more and more marginal as he is anointed. Church, after David's anointing, he is being chased by Saul. So David runs to Gath, to the Philistines for help. And he received no help from them. So in front of them, he had to act like he was insane in order to stay alive and safe. Then he runs to the caves of Adullam. There, David is on the run. He feels so tired, he feels distressed. This is not what we think the anointed should be going through. This is not what the anointed life should be, right? Instead, David is full of weakness. He's tired, he's hurt, he's scared, he's worried. Church, have you ever felt like this before? Churches, even if I look back this one week, there were moments where I felt defeated, defeated by people feeling tired, feeling worried. But in the midst of that, God still looks at you and he calls you to get up and serve, to be faithful to the calling he has given you, even in your weakness, even when you're tired. The main idea I want to share with each of us this morning is this. Give God your weakness and he will give you his strength. This morning, If you would give God your weakness, he will give you his strength. Back in 2019, I was serving as the regional director for InterVarsity. I was overseeing four states. I was leading some very important meetings for the organization. Later that week, I was going to be the keynote speaker for one of our largest student conferences. Lots of important things were happening that week, and I knew I needed to be in tip-top shape in order to lead speak and teach the evening before the meetings were about to start i went to my hotel room and there with my roommates i prayed to the lord i asked god to help me to give me wisdom and i felt a peace come upon me so i decided to sleep the next morning when i woke up from the bed my roommates saw me and they asked me what are you doing with your face i thought that's a very interesting question puzzled i said what do you mean he said what is wrong with your face it's not a question you want to hear from anyone that you're sleeping next to your face why are you doing that with your face 
I reached up and I felt my face. On one side of my face, it had gone completely numb. I could not feel any kind of sensation on one side of my face. I immediately walked to the hotel bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I had saw that half of my face was paralyzed. I called my parents and my wife and of course, they all thought I had a stroke. My brother thought I had slept on the wrong side of my face for too long. My, my roommates were scared and they took me to the ER. At the ER, they realized that I had experienced something called Bell's palsy. They said that I would need to start taking antibiotics and my face would hopefully go back to normal in the next two to three weeks. But the doctor did say in some cases, you will notice some faces will never recover. I left that ER completely worried. I thought, I can't be weak. I cannot be defeated. This is one of the most important weeks of ministry for my year. I felt God's presence come upon me and give me peace. So I went back to the conference. I had several more important meetings to lead. I believe I gave some pictures to the team. They'll show it to you so you guys know I'm telling the truth. I felt so weak and tired. <laughs> Look at me. On, on the conference stage, I had so many important meetings to lead. I felt tired. I felt embarrassed. Look at the way my face looked. God called me to serve, and I had to boldly lead and speak at that conference. In that moment of my weakness and weariness and my embarrassment to stand in front of hundreds of people, God told me, will you continue to pursue after God's heart in service of his kingdom. Church, I want to declare to you, even though my face looks like that, those meetings were a huge success. The power of God came upon that conference. Several hundreds of kids gave their lives to Christ for the first time. I saw students delivered from all kinds of backgrounds, and our business meetings that week were a complete success. Why? Because if you give God your weakness, he will give you his strength. All throughout the conference, people were waiting to hear from me to speak because one of my strengths is to be a speaker and communicator. But when your face looks like this, it is very hard to communicate. You are disabled. Your speech is slurred. There, feeling weak and disfigured, God still used my weakness. In the place where I thought I would be strong, God made it weak so he could show his glory. Church, we serve a mighty God. In your weakness, God can use you to show how strong he is. Sometimes God takes us, and you know what I'm talking about, church. He takes us through challenging paths in life. He takes us through difficult relationships, problematic issues, because he's trying to show you his strength in your weakness. People that are after God's own heart, are willing to be made weak so God can be strong. David was facing the similar kind of issues in his life in the text that we're about to read. Open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, and then I'm going to take you to 2 Samuel 23. So 1 Samuel 21, and then 2 Samuel 23. So 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 22, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel 22, it says this. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, 
they went down there to meet him. Everyone who was there was in distress. Everyone was in debt. And everyone was bitter or distressed in their soul. They all gathered to him. And David became commander over them. And there were about 400 men. Now, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23 and go to chapter verse 8. 2 Samuel 23 verse 8. I want to show you what happens to these 400 men. These are the most incredible stories. 2 Samuel 23 verse 8. I'm going to read just a few of the stories. These are the names of the mighty men who David had. Josheb, Bathshebeth, a Tachamite, he was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Verse 9. Next to him among the three was the son Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered for battle. And the men of Israel, they withdrew. But Eleazar rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The men returned after him only to strip the slain. Verse 11, next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But there Shammah took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord brought a great victory. Let me read you one more story. Verse 13. And the three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines encamped in the valley of Raphaim, David was then in the stronghold in the garrison of the Philistines, was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would just give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem and that was by the gate and carried it all the way back to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it as a drink offering to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went at, out and risked their own lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Church, if you want on your own, go back home and read. There are exploits after exploits that would make Iron Man, the Hulk, Captain America. It would put them all to shame. They are all fictional characters, and these are real-life stories of mighty men. The text starts in 1 Samuel with a bunch of men in distress. It ends with them turning into the mightiest men Israel has ever seen. This text teaches us two important things about becoming people after God's own heart. First is this, we have to learn to serve in our weakness. Serve in our weakness. Number two is if we're willing to do that, we will experience the Lord's victory. Not ours, we will experience the Lord's victory victory. Amen. The main point this morning is this. Give God your weakness and he will give you his strength. Amen. 
Church, would you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I don't know every situation that you are going through, but there could be some weak areas of your life that the enemy wants to take control of. Would you turn it over to God and he will give you his strength, amen? Don't try to bring a victory yourself. God wants to bring the victory because he alone is the one that is able, amen? First, serving in our weakness. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. David's life is so complicated after being anointed. David, David and the son of Saul named Jonathan, they became best friends. David became the leader of, of a thousand royal soldiers, and Saul would always send David to go fight the battles. But David always came back victorious. Every battle David went into was successful, so much so that the people of Israel were singing songs about David when he came back from battle. David continued, even being an amazing general, he was still so humble to stay Saul's private musician. He would play instruments before Saul because an evil spirit continued to torment Saul. It's funny, Saul loved David. David was so gifted in everything that he did. Music, war, strategy, presence, speech with friends. He was so gifted. But slowly Saul began to fear David and his anointing. So Saul began to plot to kill David. There were several occasions in the text that David was playing an instrument in front of Saul. Saul secretly would grab a spear and then hurl it towards David, just barely missing him, and David would run out of his presence. He would tell Saul, I love you so much, and the next verse throws spear at him. I feel like your relationship with your dad. Anyways, I love you, Monet. That's why I beat you. <laughs> Saul also knew and was very close to his son, Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. Here's the other thing. Saul's daughter, Michal, or Michael, she also loved David. Son loved David. Daughter loved David. Here's the other thing, friends. All the troops of all the armies of Israel, they loved David. All of this made Saul so angry, he wanted to kill David. So with Jonathan's help, David decided to flee from his own country. He went to the Philistines. They wouldn't accept him there, so then he went to the caves of Adullam. Here's the thing, church. David is so successful, but he is hated. He's so anointed, but he's on the run. He's incredibly skilled, but he's alone on the margins. His life is totally sabotaged for no reason except that God is with him, and that makes people so jealous. Finally, in the cave, he finds some men in the cave, living and hiding there. Let me tell you about the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam is not a good place. If you go back into Genesis, this is where Judah met Tamar. It is a dark place full of sin and shame. There in that sinful, shameful place, David meets these 400 men, and look at the way they're described. In distress, in debt, in discontent. What a terrible situation. How can your life get more terrible? Surround yourself with people even worse than you are. 
how can you be after God's own heart and be left out here with them? David has done nothing wrong, but he is tired. Everyone around him is tired. He is weak. He's afraid. Now he's with this group of ragtag losers. But instead of giving up, this is what the text says. You can read it in verse 2. There, David arose and became their commander. That feeling to see all these people in, in harm, all these people in disarray, what is that? What is that? That's being a good shepherd. He arose among them. He gathered to himself like a good shepherd. He gathered these 400 men that were tired and marginalized, maybe some of them even criminals, and he cared for them. He invested in them, and he led them. Church, when you spend time in the shepherd's field, people will tell you, man, look at all that wasted time. But God wastes nothing. In the shepherd's field, God was training David for what he would be doing in the caves of Adullam. There, David brought these men together on the margins, away from the palace, away from the royal army, away from all of the power. There, David serves God in weakness, in obscurity. Church, I'm going to tell you, these are the moments in life it is so easy for you to give up. It's so easy to look at these circumstances and say that your story is over. But a person after God's own heart serves God even in the toughest of times, even in their weakness. Church, do you believe me? Are you willing to say, God, I'll serve you in the toughest of times? Turn to Psalms 57 right now. Psalms 57. Psalms 57 is a psalm that David wrote while in that cave. Psalms 57, look at verse 2 and 3. This is what he is writing in the cave with all these losers. He writes, I cry out to God most high, to God who filled, fulfills his purpose for me. I cry out to God most high because it is God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Can you believe that's what he was singing when trapped in the caves? This is a man after God's own heart. God puts him there, and there God, David takes what he has, and he makes something of it. He trusts God in the caves. He worships God in the cave. David takes his experience as a shepherd, as a musician, and as a general and brings it all together to create something new. There in the despondent caves of Adullam, the most mightiest army Israel has ever seen is being created. What about you? What spot have you been put into? What surroundings have you been put into? Are you surrounded by difficult people? Are you being unfairly judged? Do you feel lost in the margins? Is it a time to give up? Church. Is it a time to say I'm weak? Church. No. I'm here to tell you right now prophetically, do not give up. Don't lose hope in your life. God, God's best story for you is still to be written. 
Don't let other people tell you your story is over. Don't be so distressed that nothing can happen for you because I'm telling you in a few pages, your story is about to change. Would you stand firm before God? Would you get up in your weakness? Would you say enough is enough and trust God, trust Yahweh God, and gather people around you to do something great for God? Stand firm today. Give God your weakness, and he will give you his strength. Number two, now notice after several decades go by. I don't want to bore you with all the details. Spoiler alert, David becomes king. Another spoiler alert, Saul and Jonathan, they both die, and David becomes the amazing king. But here's the thing about David, even as he ascends the throne, he never forgets the men that he met in the caves of Adullam. You see who these men become. As they serve David, and as they serve David's God, they are transformed. They went from being outcasts to being the most Mighty men. Look at these stories. Go back to uh, 2 Samuel 23. Go back there and read in verse 8. This guy, Josheb Bashabeth. I love this story. In verse 8, he wielded his spear and he fought 800 men at one time. That is amazing with a spear. Verse 10, you meet a guy named Eliezer. There, they were fighting the Philistines. Look what the text says. All of the men of Israel, that means the royal trained soldiers, they all ran away. But guess who is left there? David and Eliezer held their ground. Eliezer fought so long and held the ground by himself that the text says that his hand was so weary that his hand froze to the sword. What that means is when you hold something for so long, you hold it for so long, your hand gets so tense that you can't open your hand again. That's how long and hard he fought there when all the royal soldiers ran. Let me tell you something. You can start in a place of power, have all the best things around you. Saul had the best royal army, but we know what he did with that army. He ran them into the ground. At one point, they even ran out of blacksmiths. They had no weapons. But here on the margins, where nobody is looking, nobody even cares in the weakness David creates these kind of men who will never run from the enemy. They will always stand their ground. I like this next story, verse 13 through 17. David is stuck in a stronghold in the caves, and he says one thing. He said, man, if someone could just get me some water to drink from the well back in my home in Bethlehem. You know, sometimes my dad will talk about stories in India, you know, like, Oh, man, you know, you think this coconut is good. But if you went back to my village, there, when John Uppichin, my Uppichin, he climbs up the tree, cuts down. We know when I was a little kid, we used to watch this show called Sesame Street. And there was this guy called the Coconut Climbing Man. And he would bring down coconuts and count them to help you count as a little kid. We used to call John Uppichin the Coconut Climbing Man. He would climb up there and he'll cut down the coconut. He'll chop it off. He'll cut it. Give us the young pieces of coconut, and we'd drink that. My dad said, there's no sweeter water in the world than the coconuts of Kerala. David is saying, nah, Dad, sweeter water than that. In the well of Bethlehem, if somebody could get me that. Now, these three mighty men, they just overheard him say that. They just overheard him. They decided to fight 
through the Philistines, go through enemy lines, back into Bethlehem, draw from the water, fight back through enemy lines, get up into the cave, move everybody aside, go to David, and he say, hey, uh, David, a touch it. <laughs> Here it is. David couldn't believe it. That's how valiant, that's how loyal, that's how sacrificial, that's how loving these men became. They were criminals in debt, in distress, but look at who they became out on the margins in the weakness. David felt like, man, I can't even drink from this. This is your own blood, sweat, and tears. So there he took that precious water. Instead of drinking it, he turned it to the Lord. And they say he poured it out like a drink offering before the Lord. What is he telling these men? He said, I love you so much that I won't even drink this. We'll make it a sacrifice to Yahweh God. His men could see, man, my, my leader, he doesn't even care about himself. He cares so much about God that he's willing to bless us right now. There's so many more incredible stories. I, I, we studied this as a staff team earlier this week. There's a guy named Benaniah. I'll let you read it at home. That dude is like worse than the Hulk. Anyways, so there are many incredible stories. But what God is trying to teach us this morning is this, this group of men, if you read where they came from, they all are not even Israelite. They're all from different ethnic backgrounds. If you were to look at these David mighty men, some of them may even have different skin color, different ideas, different ethnic backgrounds, but they all came together despite their backgrounds. After some time in the caves, they became courageous. They became committed. They became sacrificial. They became patient. They became experts. Here's the thing. After that much time, they began to speak and act like David. Somehow, I don't know how to explain this, church, the anointing that was on David began to spread to the other men. There's something about being together, being loyal, being committed, even when nobody knows, even when you're in a tough, difficult spot, that that anointing multiplies upon everyone. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. But after some time, now there's a whole group of men that are after God's own heart. I want to teach you something this morning, church. God will multiply your anointing. God will multiply your influence even in your weakness. David's attributes were magnified and multiplied in his men. David killed one giant named Goliath. His men, they killed giants all the time. David went into battle with lots of men. His men go in with one person and take on an army themselves. His anointing, his characteristics are magnified and multiplied in his men. You see, David could have totally given up. Instead, he served in his weakness because now he can experience God's victory over and over again. Some things I notice about this man, their commitment. Their commitment is key. Commitment is key to be a person after God's own heart. But here's the thing. Why are we not committed? Our society has trained us to become people of options. Have you noticed that? Notice how many options we get. Like if you're trying to build a house, they'll give you so many options. Trying to buy a car, so many options. Trying to figure out where to go to school, so many options. What do you want to major in? So many options. 
You want to go buy something from Whataburger? So many options. We're, tra we're training a generation that they should have options. But God actually looks for people who just pick one thing. They pick one thing. And they stay committed to that one thing for the rest of their life. What are we teaching our kids? God is looking for people of commitment. Here's another thing. I, I, have, I have to try, I'm training Sophia right now. She wants to be in choir. She wants to be in debate. She wants to be an ambassador at her school. She wants to do this. She wants to do that. She wants to do robotics. She wants to do this. And I told Sophia this. Look, a young person that is committed to everything is actually committed to nothing. I want you to master one thing in your life. You can be a jack of all trades, but what this world needs are some people who are experts. Stay committed to a craft. Bring it to excellence, and God will use you. Stop falling for the trap of options. Stay committed. You want to know why some marriages fall apart? Options. Second thing is sacrifice, not only commitment. Sacrifice is key. Sacrifice is a part of a person who has a heart after God. But why is it so hard for us to sacrifice? Because our society has taught us something else. Not just options. It's not as convenience. Have you noticed how convenient everything is now? Look, I'll tell you right now. I had to go to a wedding yesterday, and I tried to put my son's jacket on him. Uh, his arms, I don't know why, but they're so long now. His jacket stopped here. I said, oh, Lord, what happened? You know? And Bettina's like, your son is growing. That's what happened. At that moment, I thought, what am I going to do? I need to do something. I wish I could go to Amazon, but Amazon cannot deliver in a few hours. So I ran to Target. And there in Target, options and convenience galore. I was able to dress my son in two suits in less than 90 minutes. Convenience. Convenience. But the kingdom of God looks for people who sacrifice. We live in a society teaching us convenience, but people after God's own heart sacrifice. There are times when we come into the house of God and we're looking for people to sacrifice, but instead we're looking for the most convenient thing for us and our family. But out on the caves of Adullam, there was nothing convenient out there. They sacrificed, and look what God turned them into. Last thing is this, patience. Commitment, sacrifice, and patience is key to be a person after God's own heart. But our society, they has taught us hurry hurry. Everything is on demand. Man, if I ever get put in a line at a fast food line and it takes too long, you can see how much we love the Lord at that time. What's taking so long? What is this, a gourmet burger? Oh my goodness, you know. People say, if you had just taught me this, I could have made it at home for the same amount of money. Where people hurry. But God knows the people after God's heart are patient. They're willing to wait in the caves. Wait for God's timing, never rushing in front of God, patient, waiting for God's timing. Are we ready to see God's victory? If you're trying to see it through options, convenience, and hurry, you're never going to see his victory. You might see a victory that you made up, but you will never see God's victory in your life. But if we embrace a life on the caves, committed, sacrificial, and patient, God will change your life. Amen, church? Are we okay? Are we okay, church? God wants to bring a big victory into your life. But are you willing to do the things that it takes to do that? 
Church, I remember, and I'm going to close with this story. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I had a, back in InterVarsity in, um, in 2017, I had a call from my supervisor. And he looked at our four-state region, and he said, I'm surprised. In over a decade, your numbers of people coming to faith have been going down. What is going on? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. He said, are you guys evangelizing? Are you preaching the gospel? Are you praying for the lost? And I remember thinking, maybe we should do that more. So I turned to my team of just like about 20 people who managed about 60 to 70 more people. I looked at that team of 20, and I said, perhaps God is going to use us to see this number change. All of them told me immediately, yo, Linson, we are not evangelists. I can't do that. I can't go on the campus and start sharing my faith. I can't preach at the university. You can do that, but we can't do that. And I said, don't worry. We're going to pray. We're going to be patient. We're going to be committed. We're going to stay sacrificial. And I said, I don't know why, prophetically, I said in two years, we're going to see the greatest revival these four states have ever seen. I don't know why I said that. I felt the Holy Spirit to say it. I said it. I looked like a fool. I didn't know what was going to happen. But we practiced. We stayed quiet. We prayed. We started fasting and praying. We started training our students and our staff. I started traveling all over these four states. I began to preach with confidence at the university. There were times where the Secular Student Association would show up to the auditorium while I was preaching. I would be nervous. The Hindu Student Council would come there while I'm preaching. I would be nervous, but I would preach the gospel with boldness. And I'm here to tell you, where we were weak in two years, we saw the greatest harvest we had ever seen, not in one decade, in two decades. <laughs> My staff team would tell you, we're so weak in evangelism. How did God do this? God brings a victory, not in places of your strength. Oftentimes, he brings the victory in places of your weakness. Give God your weakness. He will give you his strength. Church, can we just close our eyes for a moment? I want to tell you about another king as you have your eyes closed. Remember that there was another king born in Bethlehem. This king was born in the margins, away from every place of power, away from the palace of Herod. There, this king was born among the poor, among the shepherds, there that's this king was born and nobody knew him but this king grew in private in wisdom stature and favor with god and men who was this king he was the most anointed one the messiah this king took 12 people that the world overlooked 12 people that everyone else could said could do nothing and this king turned that group to a group that turned the world upside down. Yeah, David was a great king, but I want to tell you about a king greater than him. Jesus is even a greater king, but our Jesus shows us that he served in his weakness. He took away all his power, and he came and he served in his weakness. Jesus showed us to serve in weakness, and Jesus also showed that our Father can bring great victory. If you feel lost and on the margins this morning, God is with you and he knows what you are going through because his son did the same thing. 
together as we pursue God's heart. I want you to know God wants to bring victory into your life, into your family's life, into your community, into or in our church. Would you embrace your weakness so he can bring his victory? Church, you know the verse, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. David shows us this, Jesus shows us this. Now let's follow in their footsteps. Give God your weakness and he will give you his strength. Church, let's stand to our feet and worship God. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.